0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Thought Spot. So on today's episode, I wanted to give a little bit of advice for anyone out there, especially women who may be seeking the assessment for autism because navigating this could be very hard and difficult. And I've already gotten some emails and some DMs asking for advice. Navigating this is really confusing and there's not much information out there. I thought to myself that if I'm already getting a lot of questions from you guys, then this is probably something a lot of you guys have already tried looking for before actually reaching out to me to ask these types of questions. So I thought it would be helpful to just condense some of this information onto a video for anyone out there who may be confused and trying to navigate this on their own. They could watch videos like this and at least get some of their questions answered. So yeah, with that being said, let's get started with today's episode. I actually want to start this video off with some facts and statistics as to how and why women with autism are so often misdiagnosed. And I want to read these facts and statistics because I think it's really important to know these things before you begin your journey of finding an assessment for autism, just so you can have an idea of what you may struggle with. Or if you're in the midst of seeking an assessment and you've already been actively trying, it could often for some reassurance to you as to maybe why you're having such a hard time seeking this diagnosis and to know that you're not the only ones out there who may be struggling i myself struggled as well when i was seeking my diagnosis so i just want to let you guys know you're not alone and it's okay and to not give up on yourself and to keep trying So, this article is on the website Psychology Today, I might link it down in the description box below if you guys want to read into it on your own time. And it's titled, Why Women with Autism So Often Are Misdiagnosed. 42% of women and girls with autism received at least one misdiagnosis before securing an autism diagnosis, one survey found. Though the reason for female misdiagnosis isn't always clear, women's ability to camouflage autistic characteristics may play a role. Similarly, women's restrictive and repetitive behaviors, common features of autism, may be less noticeable than men's. Considering social camouflaging, anxiety, sensory overload, and depression could help more women secure needed diagnosis. Research shows that Autism Spectrum Disorder is more prevalent in males than females by a ratio of 3 to 1. But there is an increasing evidence that this gender difference may be slimmer than we think, and that autism symptoms in women and girls are frequently overlooked and misdiagnosed. A survey conducted in the United Kingdom by the National Autistic Society found that compared to males, women and girls were more likely to be misdiagnosed, with 42% of females diagnosed with mental disorder other than autism when first being assessed, as opposed to 30% of males. There is no clear explanation as to why women with autism are often misdiagnosed. Child psychiatrist Meng Chuan Lai A clinician scientist at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health says that while there is a range of different reasons why women receive a diagnosis of autism later in life, one possibility is autism characteristics aren't so evident in females. Girls and women may be more able to master camouflaging, so typical autistic characteristics could be masked when they learn social skills." Lai describes this as the ability to learn neurotypical social behaviors such as eye contact, gestures, holding conversations, and the utilization of social scripts. These neurotypical behaviors represent those who are not on the autism spectrum in contrast to the neurodiverse behaviors which refer to differently wired brains and cognitive styles attributed to those on the autism spectrum. In the foreword for Safety Skills for Asperger Woman by Leanne holiday Willey. Tony Atwood describes this camouflaging phenomenon, reporting that young girls mask the symptoms of autism by socializing and interacting with their peers, causing a delay in diagnosis. Lai notes that another possible reason for misdiagnosis is that women and girls tend to have restricted and repetitive behaviors that are less likely to be recognized. The issue is that some of these narrow interests of autism in males, if you only look at that content, are more traditionally male-typical, such as trains, dinosaurs, trucks, and they are most easily recognized by clinicians because of our own stereotypes of autism. For girls, their restricted and repetitive behaviors might not be captured by standardized instruments as they are deemed as less noticeable. Recent research has touched on the idea of bias in the way autism is diagnosed. One study showed that girls are more likely to be diagnosed if they had additional intellectual disabilities or behavioral issues, however, without these, many women are receiving incorrect diagnosis or none at all. Hannah agrees. Sometimes you might feel like you don't fit in anywhere. Everything everyone thinks about autism is male-biased. However, as slow and painful as the journey is, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. It takes us a bit longer to get to it, but it is worth the journey." Oh my god! (laughs) That made me kind of tear up a little bit. Oh my gosh, I have like full body chills reading that last bit. But I had chills because that that little sentence, that little bit at the end, where they talk about the issues is that some of these narrow interests of autism in males, if you only look at the content, are more traditionally male typical such as trains, dinosaurs, trucks, and they're most easily recognized by clinicians because of our own stereotypes of autism. That part resonated with me so much because My previous psychiatrist, the first clinician that I brought up my suspicions that I had autism to, used that same example to discount me. And this was before I was formally diagnosed. This is kind of when I had the suspicions for a while, and I just wanted to bring it up to her to begin navigating the realm of seeking that assessment. And at the time, I wasn't completely educated as to how to navigate that and I had trusted that since she diagnosed me with my ADHD and was treating me for it that she was going to be qualified to assess me for autism as well but I couldn't have been more wrong and that leads me into the first portion of advice that I want to give I asked one of my internet friends, her name is Michaela. shout out Michaela! I've been really enjoying talking and connecting with you. And she gave me a list of questions to answer in this video. And I I had asked her to ask me some questions. And the first question was, what kind of medical or mental health professional can I trust with my diagnosis? I just wanna say, if you are seeking an assessment for autism, please avoid going to a psychiatrist. And this isn't just me saying, this because I had a bad experience with it with my previous psychiatrist. This is direct advice given to me from the assessor that ended up diagnosing me with autism. He is a psychologist that specializes in assessing people with various of uh, neurological behavioral conditions and autism was one of them and he was really well versed in not only assessing kids for autism but adults of all age and gender backgrounds. and. When I first spoke to him, I had brought up this bad experience with my psychiatrist with him and he actually told me psychiatrists are not qualified to really assess people for autism because that is not necessarily their profession. And so autism is in the neuropsychological realm. It covers your behaviors and how you process things neurologically. The people who are qualified to assess you would be neuropsychologists or psychologists who specializes in subjects such as autism and specializes in giving assessments for autism especially adults and so these are the things that you should be looking for when you are looking for a clinician that you want to trust with assessing you. I just want to give the advice to be as picky as you can be because getting assessed for autism by the wrong clinician could be very traumatizing and I want to say that with as much empathy as possible and as gently as i can possibly say this and i don't want to say this to scare those out there but i want to say this to make you guys a little bit more cautious when you are seeking the assessment because there are a lot of women out there with late diagnosed autism undiagnosed autism misdiagnosed you know a lot of women out there have a lot of traumatic experiences going to clinicians who totally discount them, totally demean them and even misdiagnose and therefore gives them like the wrong treatment plan that can really affect your mental health and your physical health as well. And I really don't want to downplay that. I want to be as real as I can be. That is a total possibility and it is a really big possibility because a lot of women have experienced that. I myself have experienced it as well. And so to avoid having that traumatic experience and to do your due diligence in researching and being picky with what clinician you want to trust yourself with is super, super important make sure they check off all these boxes and if it's really hard to find a clinician that checks off all these boxes then so be it take the extra time and energy to look for that doctor to look for that clinician because when you finally get to see them you are most likely going to have a better experience getting assessed by them than you will be trusting another clinician that may be in over their head trying to assess you especially given the fact that a lot of women tend to. have a bigger propensity to mask a lot better than men do. And that would lead me to another topic that I'll I'll get to as well. But you really need a clinician that is able to see through those nuances and to be able to see the, your autistic traits that are special for you and very much so may lie outside of the context of these very stereotypical male autistic traits like for example my psychiatrist that I previously had I was seeing her for about half a year and when I brought up the suspicions of autism to her she started to tell me that I do not have autism because I did not dress like an autistic person she said autistic individuals tend to be nerdier they tend to not have fashion sense That's not something an autistic person can pick up on. And so she said, judging by the way I look, judging by the way I dress, judging by the background of my Zoom calls, like the way I did my um, interior design, she said, based off of all of these traits, I cannot be autistic because I would not be able to make things aesthetically pleasing if I was truly autistic, which is a very disappointing and stereotypical outlook on what autism is because my special interests, my autistic tendencies veered towards being very specific about how things look aesthetically and that very much so may be fed into because of needing to pick up on masking through the way I look and through the way things look to other people that is part of my masks is if I look a certain way if I make things look a certain way other people will feel more comfortable to accept me and of course Part of my autism as well is feeling a deep sense of comfort in managing how things look and making sure it is in alignment with what I want it to look like. And that is part of like those OCD tendencies that are within the confines of autism as well. Which kind of leads to the second question on this list and that's how do I know if I'm being gaslit by a healthcare provider? Anytime you begin to hear someone telling you, you do not have autism, because of A, B, and C, you're most likely getting gaslit, especially if you feel as if they don't know anything about you at all. They haven't really asked questions, they just see you, and they're already making their snap judgments. So when my psychiatrist started to go down the list of you don't have autism because your background looks too pretty and you dress too well, those are stereotypes outside of these very harmful ideas of what autism is. Like uh, autism means you're, you're collecting Star Wars figurines in the background or dinosaur figurines and you uh, interrupt people while they're talking because you don't have those social cues things like that. When someone is trying to tell you you don't have autism, basically like talking at you rather than asking you questions and observing you, Good indication that you're being gaslit, good indication that this healthcare professional is not qualified to assess you or diagnose you with or without autism. If that's the case and you find yourself in those situations, please just stop the session before it has any more time to go on and just say thank you for your time, but I feel like you are not the right person to be talking about this subject to, so I am going to... Stop this conversation and I am going to find someone who is qualified to talk about this subject with. And the third question on this list is, what does it cost to get a diagnosis? So, good question, Michaela. Seeking an autism diagnosis is not cheap. Every session is probably going to be around a couple hundred dollars, like 500, $600 plus each session. And of course it takes multiple sessions to get the diagnosis. So it's safe to say that seeking the diagnosis is gonna be a couple hundred dollars minimum. If not, it's gonna be a couple thousand dollars. So it's not cheap, which is why a lot of people tend to not even seek the diagnosis because a lot of people don't have the means to get diagnosed and that's the sad part. And if I talk about that more, I might start crying cause it's not fair. But what I find very comforting is that when you find your autism community, you are most likely gonna find that we embrace those who suspect they have autism and haven't been formally diagnosed because we know how hard it is to seek that diagnosis and unfortunately there are people out there who are not diagnosed but have spent the money to get that assessment and still don't get that diagnosis because it's so hard to navigate the realm of getting that diagnosis that you know that you have but for whatever reason the clinicians have these strong ideas of stereotypes of what autism is and if you don't meet these very specific stereotypes then you get misdiagnosed or you don't get diagnosed at all and it's very unfair and it's very sad and i really really resonate with you guys and it's very hard and that's why I'm very happy that the autism community especially women with autism community are very open to those out there who just haven't been able to get the diagnosis yet for whatever reason we're not there to discount your autism we're not there to ask you to prove yourself we just accept you because we know and we understand and for that I'm very very thankful so back to the question I want to bring up different options for you guys one you could find a qualified clinician through your insurance that is is covered by insurance but that is going to be hard because it's hard to find a clinician that is qualified and ticks all those boxes that I talked about in the beginning of this video so don't be surprised if you can't find a clinician that's covered by your insurance and that's in network with your insurance I couldn't find anyone in network with my insurance let alone within the same vicinity of where I live All the clinicians that I found were hours away. Even like in another part of the state as a whole, But you have to be cognizant that that is most likely going to be a possibility, therefore you have to be ready to make those accommodations, whether that's paying out of pocket, whether that's finding other loopholes, you just have to be ready for the fact that it's not going to be as easy as finding a clinician that is covered by your insurance and you're able to just make that appointment and get the assessment done and it's easy and handy dandy, right? You're most likely going to find a clinician after hours and hours of research that's hopeful within driving distance from you, if not on an airplane ride away, and you should be ready to book a motel or book a hotel and stay in that town for however long to get the assessment done. And I'm going to talk about financial options if that is the case for you as it was for me, and it is the single case agreement form. So let me talk about what that is. I didn't know about the single case agreement form at all. I didn't know it was an option until, thankfully, the clinician I found brought it up to me. So I was really lucky that this person cared enough about me as a human being to give me advice as to how I could get this financially covered because at the end of the day he was empathetic towards me as he is empathetic towards all of his patients as to how expensive getting these assessments is and it's already so hard living with a disorder that is undiagnosed and untreated so this is something you can't pay for you can't pay for a clinician to genuinely care about you as a human this is something that i know is so rare to find i myself have experienced so many jaded clinicians that sees you as another number and therefore they treat you like you're just not a human and it's not fair and, and experiences like that are very traumatic so I was so thankful when I found this clinician and I was not expecting him to actually care for me as a human and he was able to say you know Irene I see that I'm not covered by your insurance so let me offer you an option that can get my services covered by your insurance because I know that this is very expensive and I don't want you to struggle more than you already have. And so I'm gonna pass his blessed knowledge down to you guys, okay? Single case agreement form. He told me that he's had plenty of clients from all different cities get their services covered by their insurance. So if they were able to get the services covered, then I would be able to do it. He said, you just have to be diligent, you just have to advocate for yourself, and you just have to not let up until you get it done. And if so many people were able to get it done, then there's no reason why you can't. And he even like went to go into detail about how people from big cities like LA, big cities like San Francisco Bay Area were able to get this covered. And if people from big cities can get it covered by their insurance and navigate that, then there's literally no reason why you can't. And I like to say good news is I was able to get it covered pretty relatively easily. So there's no reason why you guys watching can't get this covered through the single case agreement form. And with that being said, let me get into how this works. So with the single case agreement form, it's pretty easy. I'm gonna break it down really simply for you guys because I know how executive dysfunction can be very, very hard to deal with. The hardest part is finding a clinician that is qualified and that you trust. So once you get that done, just know that you got the hardest part done already. And once they feel as if you are good to go with getting the assessment done because they suspect that you have autism as well, ask them about the single case agreement form and provide them with your insurance's number so that they could call them and ask your clinician's office to call your insurance and ask them for the single case agreement form. Basically what you're doing is you're getting your clinician's office in contact with your insurance and the clinician's office is basically telling your insurance hey, this person needs to get assessed for autism but we're not in network with you guys so you guys need to get this covered and your insurance, once they see that this is something that needs to be done will get it covered and they will send those forms back and forth as much as they need Once that gets situated, which takes about, you know, one to three weeks, not too long, you will basically get something in the mail or your clinician's office will contact you saying, we're good to go. Your insurance approved of the single case agreement form. They approved of this many sessions. They are paying for this much. Let's schedule your appointment to get assessed. So that's kind of how it goes. I hope I broke it down in a way that makes sense to you guys. Of course, if there's anything that isn't clear and you guys have any more questions, you could always comment them down below or reach out to me privately and I will answer your questions. So another option is for those out there who may be financially restricted, but especially restricted within location, so physically restricted. For whatever reason, you can't travel and there's no clinicians near you. Another option is to get an assessment done online. And so I'm gonna link a resource for an online autism assessment in the description box below. So the ups to this is that you could do your assessment online so you don't have to leave your home to get assessed. But a downside to this is that you do have to pay out of pocket. But another little upside to this is that from what I've seen and from what I've heard, this website is relatively affordable compared to other options out there. So I have seen women get assessed through this website and have had a good experience. It's just not ideal if you're really financially constricted to a point where you can't pay anything for an assessment but it's good in a sense where it's not as expensive as other options out there and you could do it from the comfort of your own home. So this is a good resource for those out there who finds those specific circumstances beneficial for them. And I give these two different options for those out there depending on what works best for you. Obviously everyone is going to have different circumstances so therefore they're gonna have different needs so whatever fits your needs the most is Something that you should go along with. And the next question is How do I choose who to share my diagnosis with, or that I'm on the diagnosis journey? This is a more subjective question, and it's more personal. And so therefore, you should reflect on your own and decipher whether or not you want to share this diagnosis with someone or your journey of diagnosis with someone. For me personally, when I was on my diagnosis journey, I pretty much only shared it with my family, my partner, and my closest friends. So like, three of my friends. I truly don't care and don't feel like being diagnosed with autism or having autism is a bad thing. I am very proud of it, but it's not as easy as that, right? And I'm sure a lot of you can resonate. Just because I think there's nothing wrong with it doesn't mean other people don't have misconceptions of autism. And so because of that, I feel like the best way to approach this question is to first talk about how do you personally feel about autism and the fact that you may very much so have autism and how do people in your life and people in general see autism and see you in the context of that diagnosis. Most of the time I find that people who have autism whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed, have no issues with the concept that they have autism. They don't see themselves as any less than. They don't see any issues with it. But that isn't to say that other people in your life or people in general won't see you as less than or see you as being disabled or whatever it is. Your journey of whether or not you want to share it at all and how you want to share it is totally up to you and you have every right to, I guess, come out at whatever speed and however you want to. For me personally, I see my journey with sharing my autism and my diagnosis in like three different sectors. Pre-diagnosis, I only shared my suspicions of autism with my partner, my mom, and two of my friends. I didn't share it publicly on my platforms, YouTube, TikTok, whatever, because I didn't feel comfortable talking about this if I wasn't formally diagnosed. And I say this because I feel like with my platform, I have some semblance of responsibility to people out there to not just blatantly talk about stuff like this without having some sort of knowledge or experience with it first. And so I didn't feel comfortable talking about I think I have autism like I'm 99.9% sure before I got diagnosed because I just want to make sure that I am making use of my platform and I'm being responsible about it and so I knew for myself that I wouldn't share my diagnosis or my experiences until after I was diagnosed and after I got to know my autism better as well. Which moves on to the second part is after the diagnosis I began to share it with you guys on my youtube on my tiktok on my platforms basically i was already sharing it with the closest people in my personal life i began to share it with my family which is my brothers i have not reached the point of the third part where i could freely talk about it on like my personal instagram or my personal facebook because i just want to give myself time to have this diagnosis and to find myself within that diagnosis and to gain comfort in it. So the concept of autism, if you imagine doctors and clinicians not fully understanding it, then it's safe to say that normal people will not fully understand it, right? They will have misconceptions that are ableist and that are harmful. With that being said, if we talk about that in the context of people who have known me my whole life since I was a little girl or people that have known me since high school or people that have known me since college or people I've met along the way that knew me as this very specific idea of Irene that I had put out to the world through masking and whatever, if I were to come out of nowhere talking about the fact that I'm autistic, I don't think normal people will be able to understand what that means. Therefore, they're gonna have harmful thoughts about me that I just, I'm not, necessarily ready to just be so public about. So it's kind of like, I'm ready to share myself, but other people are not necessarily ready to understand or receive it. And I have to be okay with that. And I'm not necessarily okay with that yet, But I know I will be in time and so I just have to give myself time to be ready for that. And so once I'm ready for that, that's the time I will fully share. So yeah, I broke it up into three different topics. I hope that's helpful for those out there who may be struggling with the same ideas. And I hope that that helps you determine whether or not you want to share and how you want to share. It's okay to do it in increments and just tune in with yourself and honor what feels comfortable to you and never feel any sort of guilt or shame for whether or not you are or aren't ready. And the last question on this list is how can I release stigma on medication and make space for that in my heart if that is a necessary accommodation? So I feel like this question kind of touches on ableism, right? Feeling like you need accommodations feeds into this idea that you are disabled, right? Because normal people, neurotypical people don't need those accommodations. They could just do it and they don't don't struggle along the way. That is such a social construct. Let's think about this very objectively. We live in a world built for neurotypical people. And if you are neurodivergent, autism or not, you might just have ADHD or you might have both it's going to be harder for you to operate in a neurotypical world. As my autism doctor said, you cannot take a circle peg and try to shove it through a square hole. It just won't fit. And to keep shoving it through that hole and realize that why can't I fit that circle peg in this square hole? is just very counterintuitive. And so therefore, if we live in a neurotypical world and you are neurodivergent, you're just gonna need accommodations. And it's as simple as that. It doesn't mean you're any less than, it just means that you need certain accommodations to make life more easy for you, to allow yourself to thrive better without the cost of your mental health or your physical health. Whether that's having a service dog, whether that's telling your school or work that you have certain diagnosis that needs accommodations, and if you need to take medication for it, if you need to go to therapy for it, whatever it is, you have every right to have those accommodations. And if you don't know what you have, you can't have the right accommodations that are actually gonna help you it's as simple as that in order to take action you need to have the answers in order to know what accommodations you need to make you need to know the circumstances you work with and it's all about learning more about yourself and not feeling ashamed for that just because you're different doesn't mean you're any less than just because you're different doesn't mean you need to be ashamed of it and i really genuinely mean that you guys and i really really hope you could take that to heart Never be ashamed of the accommodations that you need because ultimately you're taking care of yourself and you're making it so that you could show up not only for yourself, but for those in your life better. And that's all we can ask for, you know? one last advice i want to give is for the women and the girls out there who are seeking the assessment for their autism give yourself time to find who you are outside of your masks because you guys most likely have very very specific and intense masks that you guys have been practicing for years and years and years now and so the last thing you want is to go into these assessments with all of those masks and to have a clinician discount you because of those masks. Figure out who you are outside of these masks, figure out who you are at your core, rediscover your autistic self, which is basically your authentic self, right? And allow yourself to unmask and just be your autistic self and to not feel the pressure to mask. And this part is important not only on a personal level, but it's important because when you go in for these assessments, you want your assessor to see your authentic self, right? The last thing you want is for them to see an inauthentic self that you have practiced to a point where it feels like second nature at this point and to therefore misdiagnose you or not give you any sort of diagnosis because of that. For me personally, I was unmasking for months before I even went in for the assessment. So by the time I went in for my assessment, I was pretty much just authentic Irene and I feel like that not only felt good for me, but it also helped with the assessment as well because the doctor was able to see a side of me that no one else was able to see ever before and so that is an advice I want to give for you guys as well and from what I've seen, I've seen a lot of women and girls come back from an assessment very distraught because the assessor was like, I don't see any autistic traits and I feel like a lot of the times this happens because we mask so well that we don't even realize we're masking all the time and so we go into these assessments not being ourselves and so therefore it's kind of like not surprising that you're not getting the diagnosis because it's like what else do you expect when you're still keeping up this facade of being a neurotypical when you may not be a neurotypical you have to allow yourself to and I don't know if this is controversial or not but just be yourself and be neurodivergent and almost like find that neurodivergent self again and what that means to you so that when you go in for your assessment you can allow yourself to be neurodivergent Katie neurodivergent Irene, neurodivergent Ben, whatever it is. And just be authentic to yourself and allow the assessor to see your authentic self. So therefore, hopefully, the diagnosis that you receive is going to be as accurate and as authentic to you as possible. But yeah, thank you guys for tuning in on today's video. I'm getting super, super hungry, so I'm going to go eat my food that's been sitting over there for the past hour. Subscribe and tune in for next week's video. Bye guys!